What is up, Rush? Um, wow. Wow. This is crazy. So excited to be up here. I'm Aiden. And I'm Alex. Uh, we just graduated from Northview High School. Go Titans. Go Titans. Um, and since we graduated, I'm planning on going to Georgia College. And I'm planning on going to Georgia State University. Uh -huh. And, uh, boo, okay. Uh, we, we both ran on the Northview cross country team and we love playing spike ball. And I know that some of you here love playing spike ball as well. And love losing to us. Obviously, just because they're so good. Uh, me and Aiden also enjoy playing disc golf. If anyone here plays that, it's a fun game where I just smack Aiden and beat him all the time. Yeah, true He's story. He's never beat me once. True story. Yeah. Indeed. There you go. Um, but yeah, in our talk today, um, we are going to be addressing transformation and what exactly that looks like in the Bible. And we'll be looking at the transformative works of Jesus as well as the transformed life of Paul. Mm -hmm. So you're probably wondering why there are two clowns standing on stage. And if you look up at the screen, there you'll are the see two clowns. very indeed two clowns. Um, but today we're actually going to explore um, the transformative works of Jesus Christ through the story of Paul um, and what this means for us and what it means for all of you guys sitting here today. And I'll just start off with prayer. So if you'll bow your heads with me. <clears throat> Lord, um, we just give you our talk, God, and I just pray that you could just use me and Aiden as your vessels, Lord. Um, I pray that your Holy Spirit can just fill this room and everyone's hearts can just be softened and just ears open for your truth to be heard, Lord. Um, I thank you just for the stories that you've given both of us and, um, and the opportunity for us to just share that and what it means to come alive in your faith, Lord, and to live by faith. Um, God, we are so thankful, and I'm so thankful um, for Aiden and just being up here on stage with him and sharing this moment with him. Um, and I pray all these things in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, so let's get started. A phrase that probably everybody in this room and every Christian has heard at least once in their life is the phrase, dead in their sins. Um, but when you get down to the root of the phrase, uh, it can really sound like a contradiction, right? Like how can a person be dead in their sins uh, when they have air in their lungs and blood in their veins? Uh, they're clearly alive at that point and uh, they can't be buried. Um, there's no grave for them in the ground. Uh, let's take a look at what the Bible says about being dead in your sins. So maybe you can start to make more sense. Uh, we see in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, it says, as for you, and this is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus at this point. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now in work and those who are disobedient. All of us used to live among them at one point, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its thoughts and desires. Like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. Did you guys hear what Aiden just said? There are some key words I'm going to say again, and I want you guys to listen very carefully. Following the ways of the world, gratifying the cravings of the flesh, following its desires, 
deserving of wrath. We could also look into Colossians 1 and see that we are enemies of God, alienated and separated because of our evil behavior. And we are, sep- and we are separated because we choose our own desires over the di- desires that the Lord has for us. And at the core of being dead in our sins, we are separated from God. And so, Aiden, let me just ask you this. What does it look like to follow the ways of the world and to be separated from God? Well, Alex, I think, let me, let me tell you something. So, yeah. I think all of you here may be able to remember a time, but maybe it was a time um, you're at school and a friend asked for a pencil and you just didn't feel like it, so you didn't give him one. Um, or maybe there's a time where you didn't listen to your parents and you got grounded. Or uh, maybe there's a time uh, you woke up late at night and were hungry and you stole cookies from the cookie jar. You know who you are. Um, but, and it may appear like such a small thing. Like it doesn't even matter. Like stealing a cookie from a cookie jar, everyone has done that. Uh, but guess what? It's that one small action um, that causes us to be separated from God. Uh, it's that one small sin is all it takes. Um, and our sin is so much greater than not giving someone a pencil. It's so much greater than taking a cookie from a cookie jar. And we can look at the world around and see the brokenness because of our sin. Murders, injustice, theft, all possible because of our eternal separation from God. So let's take Saul as an example. And if you guys have your Bibles, uh, if you will turn to Acts 9, verses 1 through 9, and we'll see how he was as a result of his sin. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there, speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Saul also began to destroy the church. Uh, It says, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Um, And I think, based on Paul's actions, we can really see that, um, we can see his actions as a persecutor against Christians It becomes apparent that he is dead in his sins, um, that he is separated from God. Uh, He killed, he imprisoned the innocent, he destroyed churches. Um, This man is a man of evil behavior and evil intent. Um, And as a result of his sin, we can see in the text that he is um, blind, uh, hungry, um, unsatisfied, both physically and most definitely spiritually. And... Uh, we look at his actions and think, I'm not that bad. Um, I can't be dead in my sins. I've never destroyed a church. I've never killed anyone. I've never wrongly imprisoned anyone. Um, uh, You may think I'm good on my own, but um, 
guess what? I thought that same thing for myself during my sophomore year of high school. Um, I remember uh, this time, it was a year that was a lot of experimenting for me. Um, and not in like the adventurous way, but in a way that could have actually got me in some serious trouble. And while it wasn't anything life-threatening, uh, I remember after each experience I had, I was left unsatisfied, uh, empty, as if there ha had to have been something more to life than just this. Uh, and almost like Paul, physically I could eat, but spiritually I was starving. Uh, physically I could see, but spiritually I was blind, wandering aimlessly in a desert of dissatisfaction. Um, and physically I was alive, but spiritually, I was as dead as I was, would ever be. Um, and guess what? Like I said, I never killed anyone, but for the first time in my life, I was feeling the consequences of being dead in my sin, uh, despite having air in my lungs. And I'm sure that there are some people right here in this room uh, who have experienced the same feelings I just talked about, um, those same feelings of being lost, feeling purposeless, um, maybe you even feel isolated and lonely, um, but I'm here to tell you there's so much more than those feelings, and there's a way in which we can have life and an abundance of it. So that was being dead in your sins. So allow me to point you to the cross where Jesus Christ was slain because of our sin and for our sin, and we are washed clean in the sight of the God because of that. This is called justification. Justification is being forgiven in God's eyes. And this is God's righteous, one-time act of removing the guilt and penalty of sin and declaring the ungodly righteous. It is through faith alone, Christ alone, and grace alone in which we receive this. And it all comes through faith only. We can't wash ourselves clean. We can't clean up our own acts. That's not how it works. It's only the, Christ has already done that on the cross. Um, for example, or, so guess what that means? Nowhere in it does it say that you could do all these things on your own. Uh, so Aiden, for example, you may be thinking, what about the time when you helped Billy with his homework, with all those hard math equations? Just because you helped Billy with his homework, that doesn't mean you're saved, Alex. Oh. Um, well, how about you mowed your, you mowed your neighbor's lawn, right? For only $10? Dude, it's pretty good. It's not going to save you either. Oh. What if you do it for free? Dude, not a chance. Oh, no. all right. Um, all right, all right. So how about for the first two days of rush or any time you're at church with your hands raised in worship? Dude, your hands aren't going to save you. Hmm. Well, oh, well, what if you go to a different country and serve the people there who are in poverty and need help physically, that has to save you, right? Alex, don't you understand? Your work is not what saves you. Um, Jesus didn't come to save those who did their part. He came to save those who can't, which is all of us. Um, for it is through grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, um, in which we are saved and set free. God says, come as you are and let me wash you clean, despite your mess, despite your sin. Um, God sees our mess and our countless transgressions against him and still offers up his son so that we may be called sons and daughters of Christ. And with this newfound faith um, we put in Christ that 
Um, we receive a new heart with new desires that glorify God rather than our old heart when we're dead in our sins. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5, it says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace you have been saved. We experience true life in Jesus. We are washed clean. We are declared righteous. We receive his free grace. We are called his sons and daughters. We get life and life abundant in him. And when we become a believer, we are no longer dead in our sin. We are no longer chained to all the lies that you believe. But we are truly alive in Christ and only through him. Christ on the cross is a love so strong that the grip of death can't even hold it. Who then can receive such a great cleansing, such a great gift of life? Can Paul receive this? I mean, we just saw um, at the beginning of Acts 9 how he was dead in his sins and um, he burned church, churches, killed people. So is it even possible for him to be alive in Christ? Is that even a, a possibility? But let's continue uh, more into text to find out what happens to Paul after he was blinded and was starved. Uh, it says in Acts 9, 17, placing, and this is an, an Ananias, it says, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, um, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road uh, as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Did you guys take notice of that? When Paul, the chief of sinners as he even calls himself, was saved, his eyes were blind, but then he could see. It says scales fell from his eyes. And it's a beautiful metaphor of how we were once blind in our sins, but God allows us to see his free grace and mercy as a healer of our sins. Paul is also filled with the Holy Spirit. The presence of God dwells in the heart of Paul who's a sinner, and anyone else in Christ. And he became literally a new creation. I remember experiencing for the first time what it truly means to be alive in Christ. I was talking with one of my good friends about Christianity, and I remember him saying how I was dead in my sins. Um, and without Christ, I would never be fully satisfied. Uh, I would never be truly living and in a moment, um, God allowed me to believe his word, and I was filled with his spirit. Um, my desires went from wanting to do my own thing uh, to wanting to do nothing but be in the presence of God. Um, I even remember the next day, I didn't even want to go to school um, because I just wanted to spend time with God that day. And it may sound crazy, but God gave me a heart that was crazy for him. All right. So now what? What do we do now that we've been washed clean of our sin? This is where sanctification comes in. With what we just explained in justification, which is God's declaration of us, a sinner, being righteous, sanctification is God's transformation in us from the grace that we receive from him on the cross. And this grows us closer with God and aligns our heart more with his. You see with Saul, after he was unblinded, as explained earlier, 
Just a few verses after Acts 9, 20 through 22, it states that at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Immediately after Saul's encounter with Jesus, Saul goes from being the persecutor of Christians to being the Christian that will be persecuted. Um, and the fact that he, out of all people, the, the man who wrongly imprisoned people, the man who burned down churches, the man who murdered Christians, he, out of all people, would endure the pain that he once brought on to the people. Um, you know that Saul was transformed by the Holy Spirit, and you know that there's a reason he did that. Um, he was completely transformed by God, and everybody was astonished. It's an incredible work that can only be done by God. And with Saul having a changed heart with desires for the Lord, he grew closer to God as he continued to share the good news. Uh, and God caused the flame in Paul's heart that now illuminates the image of Jesus um, to everyone he encounters, shining an attractive light um, to them that is ever so desirable. As it says in James 2, verse 26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We could tell that a person is saved, is alive, because of the fruit that you can see from him. And what is fruit, you may ask? Fruit is the result of when the Holy Spirit comes into you when you are justified, and the Spirit does a work in you, and it changes you, and it transforms you. And that transformation is outwardly expressed. And this could look like being loved, or loving, being generous, being kind, humility, all these beautiful things. Um, and, it is, and it is very evident that Saul was now made alive through God's overflowing love from him as he proclaims the name of Jesus. The fact that God's transformation in Saul made him so alive in his faith with much fruit, people took notice of this. I mean, wouldn't you be astonished as well if Saul started doing all this? For example, uh, let's say there's a bully at school, right? Let's call him Bradley. Um, so there's this bully at school, right? And every single week in the cafeteria, Bradley would come up to you and he'd steal all your lunch money and buy lunch for himself for the whole week, right? But then one day, the next week, Bradley comes and he doesn't take your money. He takes the money out of his own pockets, goes up to the lunch line, and buys you a lunch. Did Bradley finally wake up on the right side of the bed? No. Or is this the works of Christ through him? This is just an example and exemplifies the importance of living out in your faith. You grow closer with God and take time to know him as well as taking time to share your faith with others around you. Your faith will become noticeable to them and can lead them to coming out of the darkness to investigate this light that you shine for themselves. So we know what it means to be dead in your sins. We know what it means to be justified and washed clean by Jesus. And we discovered what it also means to be transformed by the Holy Spirit.
I'm meant to be sanctified by Christ. Uh, so what? And what does that have to do with both of us standing right here on stage uh, and speaking at Rush? When we were figuring out what we wanted to talk about, it wasn't hard uh, for us to land on the idea of becoming a new creation in Christ because both of our lives have been transformed and intertwined in such a beautiful way um, that God, um, you can really see the works of God and his will in both of our lives. So to start off, I'll share a bit of my own story. A little background of my life growing up. I didn't grow up in a completely Christian household, as many of you may have. I didn't go to a Christian school. I didn't have a youth group. Um, I didn't even watch VeggieTales growing up. I know, I know. What a sinner. Um, I would have been considered, I would have considered to have been growing up in a lukewarm household where it was just the thing to do on a Sunday to go to church. Um, it was just a part of the culture or whenever we felt like it to go. There was practically no faith or God or Jesus talk at home. I didn't even know what the gospel meant. I didn't know that gospel meant good news. And when people would say that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, I didn't know what that meant. I really didn't. When I looked at, when I heard the name Jesus, I would just think of him as some old guy in a book that would just lay around the house collecting dust, and no one would pick that up. I thought of it, all of it as a fairy tale, and I didn't really believe it, and I didn't know what it meant. I didn't even know people read their Bibles, too. I thought it was all just for show. And without Jesus in my life, without growing up uh, by faith, I was a slave to sin without even knowing it. It was like I had invisible change and shackles on me that brought me down, and I didn't even know it. I was just so used to it and this lifestyle. And I thought all this Christianity, Jesus talking, going to church and doing the good thing, I thought you had to do all that to get to heaven. That it was by your own works and not the work of uh, Jesus' death on the cross. And I, I know in middle school and high school, this is where I really started to question my purpose and became conscious of myself. I was afraid of having no friends because of others not liking me. My identity was taken over with girls and my athletic achievement on cross country and my academic achievement at a very competitive school. And I was most scared of people knowing who I truly was and all, everything that I struggled with and coming to my house where my parents would constantly fight and um, the alcoholism that consumed uh, my family, my dad. This was, this was a time where I was lost, purposeless, anxious, fearful. I was dead in my sins, and this is what it looked like for me. Similar to Alex, I didn't grow up in a Christian household either. Uh, I didn't grow up uh, memorizing Bible verses. I didn't grow up singing songs to God. I didn't grow up uh, learning about different stories in the Bible. Uh, I actually grew up in a Jewish household, not a Christian one. Um, and this looked very different uh, from what a lot of you guys experienced growing up. Uh, and when I, when I started growing up in uh, the Jewish household, it was way less of a religion and way more of a culture. Uh, it was something where people went to um, and we celebrated holidays 
and we ate uh, Jewish foods, but that was about it. There was no faith. There was barely even any God talk, and uh, it was just left empty. Um, so as I slowly started going up to high school, uh, like I said earlier, um, I, I didn't even uh, associate with my Jewish identity anymore, and I began to, I began to lose faith in a God um, who I didn't even think was existent. And similar to Alex, uh, I felt the consequences of being dead in my sin, um, the feelings of being lost, anxious, hopeless, um, and ultimately uh, in need of a savior. Continuing with my story, it wasn't until the summer of my sophomore year where I started to see God work in my life and see where his plan started to start with me. So as I said earlier, I ran cross country for Northview, and during the summer we'd have summer conditioning, so um, this is where we would just start practicing and get ready for the season. And this is where I met a good friend of mine now uh, named Peter. And a cool thing about Peter, uh, just the year before, he had just moved. That's Peter. Um, the guy on the right. I'm the guy on the left. I'm the guy in on the left. In case you didn't know. But an interesting thing about Peter, uh, I've only known him at this point really for two whole weeks. And I'd only see him in the mornings while running. Um, and, and one day after practice, when we were just getting ready to go home, uh, Peter came up to me and he asked me if I wanted to go out and hang with his friends uh, from church. He asked me if I wanted to go bowling at this ratchet place called I Love Bowling, which is like $4 and, oh, sketch. Um, and I, it caught me by surprise because I wasn't your typical person who people would come up to and ask if they wanted to go out and do something. I wasn't the person who people would usually invite to fun events like this. And like I said, I've only known Peter for two whole weeks, and I, I barely knew him. He wasn't, I, he was just a new friend, and I didn't know what to do, but I found myself saying yes, and, and it's crazy because this one invitation and this one, and me accepting the invitation to go and hang out was one of the craziest nights of my life because of all of the love and authenticity that people just poured into me. It was a love that I have never experienced before. I remember going there and seeing all, these, all of his friends meeting me, wanting to get to know me. Hey, Alex, what's your name? What do you like to do? What do you do for fun? What school do you go to? What grade are you in? What's your favorite subject? All these things. They loved on me like no one had ever before. And to be honest, in, just in this one night of bowling and steak and shake afterwards, I've known the guys, I have gotten to know these guys a lot more than some of my closest friends growing up in my childhood. Um, and after that night, after constant gutter balls and making new friends, they started to invite me to church. This is when I started to come to Watershed and wash Wednesday nights at the shed um, and start hanging out with all these, uh, all these new friends of mine. And, and at first I came to church just for the social aspect, but as I kept on coming, um, I started to look at my own faith and look at my own heart um, and 
I started to investigate who Jesus really was and who God really was. And a couple months later, um, after going constantly and being poured into by these godly people and God himself, I found myself weeping tears of joy um, at my first ever retreat, and I completely understood the point of all of this, of who Jesus was and him dying for my sins, and I accepted Jesus into my life. So a question that's still probably on a lot of y'all's mind is how did I, uh, Aiden, growing up in a Jewish household, how did I end up getting involved in church? Well, it actually started off uh, from an invite from both Alex and Peter um, to this thing called Breakfast Club. And Best club. And we actually have a photo um, of one of the Breakfast Clubs. A lot of people you know and love up there, all um, from Breakfast Club. But here I was invited. And when I first went, I thought it was a club at my school and not um, a Christian community, not some, a Christ-centered community. So when I went, um, I remember going and just enjoying um, being loved by people. I enjoyed the aspect of spending time with my friends before school. And I remember through this, uh, I was able to see what it looked like, um, what it looked like for others, for Christians to love on people. And through one invite um, from Breakfast Club, uh, it was a spiral, a chain of events that God used um, to bring me to him. And it wasn't a steady ride the entire time. It was very bumpy, very long, um, very intimidating for me. Um, but God worked through Breakfast Club and through the godly men there um, to bring me to him. You see, for me, it was because of the transformed life of Peter being a new creation in Christ and him pouring into me. Um, and with him being a new creation, I desired that. And I didn't even know what it was at the time. You know, with all these guys loving on me, being so genuine, and just so much kindness, um, it led me to becoming a new creation myself. Heck, even when I'd come home uh, from church every so often, my parents would just come up to me and talk to me and say, what happened to my son? You're so different. What happened to Alexander? You see, all this was because of the new creation God made Peter into, as well as all those other guys I met that night. And they were transformed because of all the other people who poured into their lives and, their, and the lives that they desired to be transformed. You see, claiming to be a Christian and doing what you're supposed to do according to the culture is so much different than living out in your faith. See, when I was invited to go bowling, they didn't talk about God. They didn't ask me about Jesus and about my own faith and wanting to redirect my soul to God. They just loved on me like Jesus did. And that's who I saw. I saw Jesus in each and every single one of those men. And that's all it took. Their, their lives were so changed and transformed. And they couldn't help but give all that away. And because they gave it away, I received the same living God in me. Uh, you see, 
Alex right here. Um, it's because of Christ's work through him that I'm even here right now. Uh, he showed me the love of Christ while I was dead in my sins. He loved me well. He never failed to make me feel included and demonstrated what it means to be a follower of Christ. Alex was transformed so much by the Lord that it was not only noticeable, but it was desirable. And since the day I was Jewish to the moment, uh, Christ opened my eyes to even right now. Um, Alex has walked with me every step of the day, every step of the way, and has guided me and shown me what it means like to follow God. And guess what? All it took was an invite. For Alex, that was bowling. For me, that was breakfast. Um, and that's when the seed was planted. Um, and God did the rest. He watered, he harvested, um, he planted, and he produced fruit in us. Um, believers, looking at, loving on someone isn't a super complicated task. And it's as simple as an invite. Um, God invites the homeless, the lame, the crippled, even, uh, even his very disciples, not just to hang out with him, but to eat in the feast of life. Jesus is the good news uh, that he shared with all who crossed his path. So what's stopping you from loving someone so deeply that the invite is just the start, that sharing the gospel is just the start? It's true love that brings transformation from a dead creation to an alive creation, and that's when it comes to a new creation. And to those who are still dead in their sins, or you don't really know, what's stopping you from taking God's free gift of grace? I mean, if there's nothing for you to earn it, what's in the way of your heart from believing it? If someone offered you a free Lamborghini right now, you wouldn't think twice to accept it. So how much more would you be willing to accept the greater gift of God's free grace from the cross of Christ? Look at your heart and see the barrier that's preventing you from experiencing life. Because when I look at Aiden now, it's not Aiden who I see, but I see Jesus in him and only him. And, and Jesus lives in Aiden and he's a, he's completely different and transformed by by God, and I'm so blessed to live life with him and go through the tough stuff and the fun stuff and um, being poured in. Just receiving God's love through him. Yeah. So... I want to leave you off uh, with one thing before you leave. And I know you may be thinking like, oh wow, they have a cool relationship. I don't want you leaving thinking that. I want you leaving thinking about how much greater of a relationship Jesus wants with you. Um, so allow God to transform you daily. Eat of his daily bread. Uh, let him wash you clean. Experience his abundant life. Don't miss a day where Jesus isn't your moving force for love and give the opportunities give others the opportunity to experience the same life and love God has given you 
let us pray. Uh, dear Lord, uh, what a blessing it truly is to be up here with my brother Alex. And the love and the grace you have poured out onto our lives is just the start. Um, and I pray that through the work you've done in our lives, Lord, and um, just through your abundance of grace and your abundance of life, you are able to touch the hearts of many here, Lord. Allow others right now to go from being dead in their sins to being alive in you. Allow them to start their journey with you right now, Lord, because it is so worth it. Every second of it, Lord, I have not thought twice. So, Lord, we love you with all we got. Um, you're for us, Lord, and let us remember your overwhelming grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.